Welcome to TechTastic, the podcast that explores the cutting-edge world of technology and its impact on society. New breakthroughs and developments are revolutionizing the world around us, presenting exciting opportunities as well as complex challenges. We'll explore the big ideas and key players driving these transformations as we seek to understand the implications of these advancements for our lives, our communities, and our planet. Join us on this journey of discovery and exploration as we navigate the fascinating and ever-evolving world of technology. This is TechTastic. Sean Languidoc, welcome to It's TechTastic. It is lovely to have you here. It's fantastic to be here, no pun intended. It's tech-tastic to be here. Thank you for having me, Christian. Yeah, so you've got a great profile. You've got, what, 25 years experience in the tech industry. You've had five Mm -hmm. startups that you've launched, uh, which means you're a serial entrepreneur, whether you like that title or not. It's unemployable is the main reason, I guess, yeah. yeah. (laughs) The only person that would hire me is me. That's kind of the definition of a serial entrepreneur. Yeah, or else you just keep seeing problems you need to solve, and uh, you can't help yourself once you once you realize there's a business behind it. So yeah, and today you've got Outforce.ai. Yeah, I've had an interesting journey. What I really like to do is to help people figure out the do's and don'ts of outsourcing, like whether or not they use our service or not. I emphasize we're not a recruiter, we're not an outsourcing agency. We help navigate through all the agencies that are out there to figure out better matches. Now, as the audience knows, I have a long career. I've been uh, the CTO at some fairly large companies. I've had a long tech career. I did a lot of startups before that. And one of the mm. things that was common is I talked a lot about tech debt as a reoccurring problem. Yeah, That's what I company actually is very much focused on solving in a like automated fashion. The typical way we would have solved that though is like there's three things you can do. You can throw people at it. Mm-hmm. You can erase the past tech debt by replacing everything, so modernize. Mm-hmm. Or you can monitor the heck out of it. You can instrument it. You can build a CI/CD pipeline, and then spend years trying to pay off that backlog of stuff. Oh yeah, right. Yeah. All of them expensive. Yep. The easiest one to sell to senior leadership, um, if you're like a director VP level, is we're going to hire more people. For whatever reason, that works. And the easiest way to do that is to say, I'm going to staff AUG, I'm going to bring in contractors. So it's a outsourcing light kind of way, like they're contract to hire maybe, but they're definitely not permanent right. full time. Right. And that what you described is very typical of our customer base. And that has an interesting problem when you're the, you know, the person that's going to be signing a few vendors on board. Mm-hmm. Uh, the first is you really just don't know the quality of the people they've got in their own bench, yep. right? They've got people they want, they, they want to bring in. You have no idea whether they're a good culture fit, whether they're a good, like, do they have the seniority and the skill set to really match up? So you're taking a yep. lot of it on trust. And a trust usually of a referral. Right. <laughs> hey, these guys are great. I use them for my health tech company. Oh, we're, we're in different subfields, but they, they, have, they have great engineers. Don't worry about it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Typical issue. Yeah. <laughs> and when you're getting into it, like the, the other thing you have to trust is like, how are they going to fit into mm-hmm. this? Do they follow yeah. a process that we agree with? Do they fit into our cadence or our rituals and all that kind of fun stuff or not? Right. And if not, how do we manage that? So there's a bunch of questions around who you bring in. And I know what yeah. I've always done is I go back to the exact same people that have worked for me in the past. I go back and say, because you've been through that learning curve. That's right. And that's the only group I trust, which is very limiting. It doesn't give me the best options on potentially price. It doesn't give me the best options on maybe skill set. But I know I can trust Karen. So I hire Karen's team to come in and do it. Exactly. And Karen will go find the contractors that she needs to do or whatever, right? 
Totally makes sense. And I commend you for actually still going to outsourcing, having to gone through the, the heavy lift of getting them to make it work for you, right? And that's the challenge is outsourcing totally lacks trust. It's it's like your baby, you know, you're, you built this company, you've got, you know, 10 engineers, maybe, maybe 20 or whatever. You don't just give your baby to a, any random daycare center. You go and find out all the best ones and figure out who's had a good experience and then make sure that's the right one for your kid. It's the same thing with your product and engineering. So you have to really do some due diligence. And the problem is nobody has the time to do due diligence. So they lack the data in order to make a viable decision. And they more so even lack a process. Mm -hmm. The interviewing part is the key to figuring out all those issues that you just described. What's the culture? What's the rituals? What's the cultural gap if I'm in a different country? You just touched on a really big problem, which is time zone differences. If you've got a team in like in India and you've got a team on the West Coast of the United States, they're 12 hours opposite, which you can take yep. advantage of having 24 by seven, you know, around the clock development. But yeah, but you have none of that halo standups. Right, right, right. And having built those companies, every time we hit some inflection point, either, you know, we needed something ready for a show or we had a big client with it needed an API or front end or you know, like you said, you know, we, hey, we, we bootstrap this crap on Ruby on Rails. Well, guess what? <laughs> that gets messy after a while. And you've got, like you said, technical debt, but I still need to service my customers. So I have to bring in these other people to come in and build the new product while I'm still servicing my existing customers. So for any of those reasons, you end up going outsourcing mm -hmm. and it is a nightmare. It's the opposite of hiring. In hiring, everyone's good is taken. So you got to pull them out of a company even today <laughs> and you flip the switch and go, okay, well now I got to outsource this and it's water, water everywhere, but not a drop to drink. You said earlier, it's like your baby too. And uh, I, I was thinking about that going, yeah, it is a lot like bringing in a babysitter, like in getting that level of trust. Yeah. And with outsourcing in particular, especially when you've got a large org, the sheer volume of agencies that come to you and say, hey, I can beat your rates. I've got 100 engineers you know, ready to go at any time for your project. It's just a nonstop every day. You get three or four requests for a meeting with some vendor that wants to come in and get their 100 software engineers on your project. And you- White noise. Yeah, and you just ignore it all because you have totally. no ability to, to determine whether or not they're valuable or not. They might have the best engineers on earth and maybe they give you a screaming deal because they're just sitting on the bench waiting for work to do. They have no way yeah. to find that out. There's no way to know. No, exactly. And if you end up asking somebody can you do something? Guess what the answer is? Yes, of course. Right. <laughs> exactly. We're the experts in it. We've got a whole team of experts ready to go. Exactly. So that's what I, the problem that we solve with Outforce is really how do you filter all this crap and figure out who's actually good at what you want to do? And not only are they good on paper, but they have the right people at the time that you're asking. That's critical, right? So like your friend who's got a good dev shop might not have any good people at the time that you ask and therefore that you're just kicking your hiring problem down the road, right. right? So we really look at it like a trilemma. There's three things. There's speed, quality, and cost. Mm -hmm. You can only pick two. Mm -hmm. And we don't solve for cost. Cost comes as a byproduct of maybe picking a geography with the lower cost base, but we only look for solving on getting the right people at the right time and the quality of that. And so we start with the database. It's massive. We have about almost 80,000 companies in our database. That's and we start. don't ask them, can you do this? We've asked them, hey, we represent North American companies that are looking to scale up and their engineering through Staffog or whatever the use case may be. If I brought you the perfect client, what business would it be in? Mm -hmm. 
And then they go, oh, we're a marketplace company. We've built hundreds of marketplaces. Oh, okay, great. What kind of marketplaces? B2B, B2C, logistics. So we get into the, the subcategories. But now at least I know that they've got domain expertise so that when you start with them, you don't have to teach them the business logic and the business rules or whatever the criteria may be. Health tech, fintech, that's really important stuff. And then the next question is, and in what tech stack? Oh, you know, we're .NET Shop or we're, you know, JavaScript. And so how many people on the bench on that? So now I know that I've got them tagged for that tech in that domain. And if I come to them, I'm going to ask them. And if they get the contract, they're probably only going to get four or five people to start a contract. But I know that I can go deeper and longer with them because they've got the strength. Or if the client only stays with, you know, three or five engineers for this deal, sometimes, you know, in the interview process, one slides under the radar in the interview, doesn't say a lot of things. It ends up being that very introverted engineer who can't take criticism. On paper was excellent, but in soft skills, not so great. So you need to replace that person. And that's where we know that we've picked that company because we can go and back to them and say, hey, Jose's not working out. Give me three options for Jose for next sprint. And we get those three options in front of you. And next thing you know, Juan's gone, Jose's in, everyone's happy and everyone's communicating really well. One of the things that you realize when you go from like the small company or like divisional 150 software engineer <laughs> type team up into the hundreds and thousands is that your view of your responsibility changes, sure. right? You're no longer thinking about optimizing performance and you're no longer thinking about efficiency. You're thinking about mm -hmm. risk and outsourcing by its very nature and technology is extraordinarily high yes. risk, right? Intellectual properties walking out the door when that person leaves, all that effort I put into training them on the domain, training them on our tech stock, it's knowledge that we need to keep in house. And so fundamentally as a CTO in a larger company, you are extraordinarily resistant to outsourcing anything. 100%. However, you have no choice, yep. right? You, you just don't. There's no way you can possibly do all the things you need within the budgetary constraints that you have, yeah. especially when you're a publicly traded company, you've got your OPEX and CAPEX, and you've got to maintain a certain level of burn that the street's going to acknowledge yeah. and accept. And then you've got things that have to get done. And so you're always playing that game of like, okay, how much risk am I going to absorb by taking right. in? So you give you give them the, what we call parallel swimming lane stuff. Like it's not core, it's the APIs that I need to build for a third party. It's the, it's that front end, it's that other stuff, right? Until you build confidence with that firm and their ability. But you still want to know that I've got, there's an enduring value here. I'm going to have a relationship with this vendor because the vendor selection process itself at a big company is also time consuming 100%. and expensive. Yep. And so the last thing you want to do is say like, well, they sucked. I need to go find somebody else because that's a three month journey starting oh, all over again. It is, you know, <laughs> you know how in the cycle of a startup is always that you get a first couple of customers and you get this peak excitement and then you drop into the trough of despair. It's the same thing with outsourcing <laughs> if you do it on your own. Like, this is the problem. People interview the leadership of the agency who tell you everything you want to hear. We do it yeah. the bottom up. We go, give me the resumes of the team you're gonna, that you're going to send us. We'll meet them, figure out what the cultural gap is, language skills and all those things, the soft skills. On paper, we understand what they're like. And then we let the client interview those teams, the top five teams they want to meet. And we only let the management speak at the very end about the culture of the company. As opposed to the other way around, you meet the managers, the CTO of the company, they tell you everything you want to hear, and then they find whoever the hell they can find to fill the contract. Yep. It's eye-opening when you, you're on the other side of it. I did enough time between companies before I got into the big company gig for a yeah. while. I would just pick up contract work because it's fairly lucrative. Sure. And if you're good at what you do, it's easy to get. And to be on the other side of it and like hear what they were pitching me as, it's like, 
I can't do that. I don't think I've ever done that before. <laughs> like, I'll figure it out. I learned I fast, I've but that before. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and, and and that's the beauty about when we get to the finals in this process, which usually takes about a couple of weeks by the time you get interviews going. There's usually two or three companies where it, not only does the company have the domain experience and they got the benches I described, but there's a pod of engineers that have just come off a similar project. They built three or four of my clients building. And you know, one plus one equals five in engineering when you got people who work together. Mm -hmm. So these people are finishing each other's senses and they're contributing to product more than my client can contribute because it is her or his first time doing this business. You just described the main reason outsourcing is actually valuable if you can find the right that's team. Right. It's the thing, uh, I call it the McKinsey effect because that's kind of what they're known for, right? They go around and they see how everybody's done supply chains, right. for example. They've been at 500 companies doing this. And so by the time they get to you, they're like, here's the 500 things we've seen done wrong that we're not gonna have you do, you're gonna do this instead. Now they know 501 wrong things to do and they're gonna go to the exactly. next one, right? With that exactly. knowledge. You'll never have that internally. You just can't do exactly. it. Your one exactly. use case. You really should leverage it, but like, how do you de-risk it? How do we? How, how do we the, engage? Like, what's how the do you find the McKinsey yeah. in your business, right? And that's what we find. That's it's right. Like, we had one client. It was building a Basco banking as a service company, so the infrastructure underneath a bank. But Google was an investor, so they had to go with GoLang. Try and find <laughs> senior DevOps with 15 years of experience in banking who knows Go. There aren't any because Go's not exactly. that old. Exactly. So at the time, it was only <laughs> five years old. So yeah. they had the head of former head of Accenture Global Partnerships was their engineering lead. He said, I don't need you guys. I, I know everybody. Came back two months later. He said, I know a lot of people that just thought the right ones. So we'll give you guys a chance. In three weeks, we had seven companies. And like I said, two of them had teams that are just coming off building a Basco in Europe. They were like, no, you should do it this way. You should do it this way. It was gold, gold. So the problem with banking technology has always been the COBOL layer that you just can't get past. <laughs> I get requests for COBOL developers. <laughs> That's another <laughs> unique set of engineering that uh, yeah. few people. You pay me $10 million a year and I'll start doing COBOL again. <laughs> <laughs> we do get that from time to time, yeah. So yeah, so that's that's what's cool, and and I'm I'm sure some of your audience might be starting their first company. You know, a lot of people think, okay, I'm going to build this engineering team, and then we're going to go to market with the product. That's a great idea if you've done the research on whether the product has a market fit. And what we get sometimes are people who, you know, they've been around the horn a few times, kind of like me, and they go, hey, I don't want to give up all my equity to not paying my buddy an engineer to build the company. And then find out when we get the venture capital money that the venture capital company is saying, hey, that's not the right guy to lead your engineering team to the end zone. <laughs> and I have to have that hard conversation. No, I'd rather raise a little bit of dough, spend it on an engineering team that knows my space, can build my POC, figure out if I got product market fit. Once I get it, then hire my engineering team and build around that. Pleasure to be with you. Actual joy. Christian, hey, thank you. That was awesome. And not our last conversation by any stretch. And that's a wrap for this episode of TechTastic. I want to thank you personally for joining us and we'll see you next time. Until then, keep exploring and stay curious. Hey there, TechTastians. Is your team drowning in tech debt and you just wish you had a magic button to fix it? I want to introduce you to Vala AI, your tech debt hero. At Vala AI, we get it. You're busy. That's why we've made fixing tech challenges as easy as a click of a button. You don't need to be an engineer. We empower non-techies to conquer complex tech issues effortlessly. 
We understand you don't have time for tech headaches. Vala AI is here to lift that tech burden, making your tech debt disappear with a simple click. So ready to say goodbye to tech troubles? Try Vala AI. Your solutions are just a click away.